I don't think I've talked much about this, actually, but I used to be an amazing basketball player. <laughs> I don't understand. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I guess I haven't told you enough about my basketball history, but, I mean, there was a time where, honestly, I couldn't be beat. In my driveway when I was nine years old, man, I was unstoppable. And it was amazing how many times I'd be, I'd have the ball, five, four, three, two, one, McDonald shoots, he wins the game. Nine, 10, 11 years old, right? Three, two, one, McDonald shoots, oh, he misses, but that's okay. He was fouled. McDonald goes to the line and makes the basket. You used to play those games too? It was amazing when I was nine years old. In my driveway. Playing basketball. But I tell you, as I got a little bit older, I figured out pretty quick, I wasn't going to pass the ball to Larry Bird, right? I wasn't even going to pass it to Larry the Cucumber. I mean, I wasn't going to make the team. You know, that's how hope in this world is. The truth is, you find out as you get older, some of you are already here, I think, that as you move along in life, hope decreases, doesn't it? There were things you were going to do, right? There were places you were going to go. There were goals you were going to achieve. You were going to have this by the time you were that age and this by the time you were that age and guess what? You're there. And the only only common denominator is you. You're still there. That's the way that human hope and earthly hope is. Hope on this earth is a dying hope. But I want to tell you about a living hope today. A hope that as I get older, as I experience more and more life, as I proceed, I'm believing in it more. It's not that it's diminishing, like my basketball skills, but it is growing in me at a greater and greater rate. The hope that I have in the Lord Jesus Christ and the hope I have for heaven and the hope I have to have eternal relationship with him. See, it's increasing. It's not decreasing like my basketball hope. God offers us a living hope, a growing, expanding, developing, maturing realization that this earth is not what it's all about. Yeah, it really isn't. But that God is something greater for us. A relationship with him has been offered and provided. You know, it's funny. Some of the great minds in human history have spoken about religion and specifically about Christianity. Karl Marx said religion is an opiate for oppressed people. Hmm. Sigmund Freud said religion is an illusion and it derives its strength from the fact that it falls in with our instinctual desire. Stephen Hawking 
said, heaven is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. I find it interesting that some of these individuals, and there are many others, who have set out in their life to destroy our hope, who have set out with all of their gusto to tell me that my hope is ridiculous and unfounded and childlike, yet... They're so obsessed with it, aren't they? Funny, I don't talk a lot about their belief or their hope, but yet they couldn't help themselves from coming back again and again and again and saying, you have no hope. Man must wrestle with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You must wrestle with the resurrection of of Jesus Christ. Because if he came out of that tomb alive, if this is a truth, then what he said is true. And what he said was that he was the only way to the Father, only through him. He's the only way, the only, tr- only truth, the only life. So if he came out of that tomb alive, logically, Move through what he said. You have to come to a decision. And I want to call you to a living hope today. If you have your Bible, open up to 1 Peter chapter 1. I think I have it for the screen for you. I think I've got the passage, 1 Peter chapter 1, to put up on our screen. There it is. I also have it on your sermon notes, if that is a help to you. I'm going to be talking about verses 3, 4, and 5 today. They've kind of been the dedicated passage for the day. It's about the resurrection. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about the living hope that God offers to us, brought to us through the one and only Son of God, Jesus in the flesh. Let me read it to you. Peter, who was a follower of Christ, said this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. See, the Bible uses shocking terms for the difference that God makes in our life. God, the, the, God through his word, uses words that really rattle us about the effect that he has in our life. Words like metamorphosis. I know that's not a word you probably use a whole lot, but it's in your Bible. It, that word comes from your Bible. Transformation. Changed. Saved. These are words that the Bible uses for people who have put their trust in Christ and now have a living hope. They're metamorphosized. They're transformed. They're new creatures. But the one I want to focus on is from this passage today. And that's the phrase, born again. 
born again. You know, you hear that word a lot if you turn on your television or click on practically any news site. You see it a lot of times. So I just did a Google search for born again. Let me tell you some of the things I've found. Maybe some of you want to join some of these groups. Did you know there's a group called the Born Again Jocks? They're up in in, uh, Massachusetts, I believe. They're a senior sports organization. So it's for all of you high school athletes who made fun of me because I couldn't play basketball and now you're old. And so the born again jocks is this group of old guys who go out and play ball together. Actually, it sounds kind of like like a lot of fun. I could probably rule in that group. Yeah. (laughs) Had a born again writer. She called herself the born again writer because she had written for a long time and failed and now she's starting a new career and she called herself the born again writer. You had the born again Icelander. This was this woman who's a tourist and who loves Iceland, which I understand is beautiful. But she believes that she was supposed to be born in Iceland. And so I don't know whether her mother made a mistake. I don't know. But for some reason, something went wrong. And she was born in the United States and not in Iceland. So she calls herself the born-again Icelander. Hmm. Where is this term born-again coming from? And what does it mean? It's not a voting block, by the way. You see that a lot of times in the news media. Well, the born again, why are the born again people remaining true to Trump? It was on the news just two weeks ago. Caught my eye. Do we understand what it means to be born again? Jesus used this term and it was shocking to the listener. Middle of the night, a religious leader comes to Jesus He's called the teacher of Israel. He is the main dude when it comes to the Bible. And at night, he comes to Jesus in a secret meeting. And he asks the million-dollar question. He says to Jesus, Jesus, come here. Jesus walks over. Yeah, what do you want? He says, what do I What do I do to inherit eternal life? Let me translate. How can I know that I'm going to go to heaven? How can I have a relationship with God? How can my sins be forgiven? How can I have a relationship with the God of the universe, Jesus? Jesus says this. You must be born again. You must be born again. The religious leader says, what? How is this possible? This is really what he said. You read about John chapter 3. He said, do I have to get back into my mother's womb and be born again? (laughs) You're out of your mind. That's what he said. Okay, now he didn't add the out of your mind part. But the rest of it, he really said. See, it's that shocking what Jesus is saying. It's that shocking what this passage says. To have relationship with God, improvement won't do it. Getting better isn't going to fix it. Brushing yourself off, getting a little bit more serious about church and the Bible, finally doing what my mother always wanted me to do. None of that's going to do it. No, it's not religion. You don't get to God through religion. You get to God 
by being born again. That is meant to shock you. If you don't feel a little confused by that, you may not be really tracking with me. I will say this, it's interesting, this word where it says he has caused us to be born again. For those that are interested, this is a little different than the John 3 passage. In John chapter 3, Jesus says, you must be born again, is how the English says it. But in reality, what he said is, you must be born from above, is what Jesus actually said to Nicodemus. You must be born from above. Born again from above. When Peter says it, listen to what he says. It's a little different. He says, you must be born from another father, is what it really says. You must be born of another seed. Huh. You see, our first birth, the seed that planted us, came down from Adam with all of its curse. Adam being the first man who sinned against God. And that seed is corrupt. And that birth will never get us to God. It'll never allow us to have a relationship with him. We must be born of another seed. You have to be born from another father, is what Peter is saying. So let's see this passage. Let's try to understand a little bit. This is what we do here at Center Point. We walk through passage scripture and try to understand what it is that, that's being communicated to us. The first thing I want us to see is God's greatest gift to mankind is new life. That's his greatest gift for man. For men and women, it is new life. And that's what Peter is trying to help us to understand. Notice what it says here in the passage. If you have your Bible, look at it. If not, just stay with me. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Because of his great mercy, God caused us. And yeah, I'm emphasizing that on purpose to be born again. First of all, I want you to notice that this flows out of the mercy of God. God's offer to new life is really a function of his mercy. God in his mercy is making an offer to mankind. Now what is mercy? Mercy is to withhold the just punishment that you deserve. You come into my house and you steal something? The just punishment is, well I don't know what it would be. J-O I hope, okay? But you take something and there is a just punishment for it. Mercy says, I will withhold the punishment that you deserve. So God in his mercy, now hear this. God in his mercy saw our problem. He saw our problem. The just penalty for our problem was eternity in hell. Hell is a real place. No matter what you hear in the news, no matter what you read in a book, no matter what Sigmund Freud says, the Bible declares that hell is real. It's as real as heaven. In Matthew chapter 25, verse number 46, Jesus speaking about heaven says that it is eternity. 
and uses the exact same phrases to describe hell. So if you're going to believe in heaven, you must believe in hell. Why was mankind destined for hell? Why? Why was mercy needed? Two reasons, at least. First of all, you inherited, you inherited from your parents corruption. You did. I did. We all did. We inherited from them a guilt for sin. See, here's how it worked. God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and said, love me, know me, have relationship with me. And to exercise your love and to show your love, obey this one law. Obey this one law. And so Adam and Eve and God were in perfect community with one another. But through a temptation and a distrust of God and a misunderstanding of his word, Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And that was the most detrimental decision ever made by any human that affects you and me today. And we inherited from Adam a guilt. And that's why it is that every person stands guilty before God. Because God had a representative, Adam. Adam, you will represent all of humans. Go get them, big guy. And in Adam's fall, we all died. You ever wonder why we die? Ever occurred to you? You ever think about these things? Do you, do you question things like that? Why do we die? Hawkins said we're a machine. Well, why does this machine break down? Why do we die? Romans 5 says because of Adam's sin, all men die. So if you want to see whether or not it's true, if you want to know if God's word is true, find me a human that doesn't die. They all do. Because we have inherited this guilt and the consequence of that is physical death. But that's not our only problem. We've also inherited a corruption. You and I are corrupt. Yes, you are. You're a nice looking person, okay? I bet you're a nice guy. You're probably a really good neighbor. You're probably a really good American citizen, but you're a corrupt individual and I know it if given the opportunity you will steal if given the opportunity you will cheat if given the opportunity you will lust you will gossip you will, you will lie won't you say Lord have you been reading my emails are you like checking out the history of my browser what's up how do I know you so well because I've been a student of me for 47 years and we are all sinners See, we have a corrupt inheritance from Adam. And we also have a corrupt nature that we have also inherited. This is who you are when you were born. You know that beautiful little baby you held in your arms and said, oh, she's so cute, look at her. Dirty, rotten, corrupt sinner. It's true, though. If you don't believe me, come back in two years, right? When it's a toddler. Yikes. Mine, mine, mine. You'd never do that, but some do. <laughs> this is why we needed mercy. This is why. 
It says here that according to God's great mercy, it's literally, listen to this, it's his mega mercy. That's pretty cool, isn't it? According to his mega mercy, like a superhero. Yep, yep, exactly. According to his great mercy, he has caused us. God did this. He has caused us to be born again. To be born again. Improvement, as I said, wouldn't do it. Refinement isn't going to fix it. You and I needed a complete new start. It's not going to be something you shine up and then you're okay. This required God in his mercy to do a miraculous act in your life that could only be described by being born again. The original hearer of that expression said, what, do I got to be crawl back in my mother? What are you, some kind of a weirdo? That's impossible, Jesus. Yeah. Jesus said, you're right. It is impossible for man. Yep, it is. That's why God had to initiate it. God had to come into your life in his great mercy. Listen, if God wasn't merciful, he would annihilate all of us. But he came into our life. Say, when has he ever come into my life? Listen, he's coming right now. He's coming right now. The Spirit of God may be coming into your ear right now. Saying, this is true. This is what you've been searching for. You need to be born again. This expression is radical. Theologians call this regeneration. This born again idea. They call it regeneration. You know, starfish, cut off the thing and it grows back amazingly. Okay? It's radical. It's not an improvement. It's a change of your very identity. I'm no longer a child of wrath. I'm no longer a son of destruction. I'm no longer a son of the devil. These are the words that God uses in his word for people outside of Christ. It's not a kumbaya, let's all hold hands, we're all people of the world and children of God. No, no, no. That's the peddlers of lies who try to sell products, who try to get you to buy their song that really pulls at your heart. But in your heart, you know it isn't true. You know. We have to be born again. Consider a birth. I did it four times. Well, I guess not me, okay? But four children. I'll tell you what, it's amazing. It's amazing to see the process and to, to walk through that door if God opens it up for you. And if you've been there, you know the amazing part of it. But, you know, consider a birth for just a minute. As wonderful as it is, as, as miraculous as it is, it doesn't really exist for itself. Think about this. I was born on 7770. Kind of weird, huh? I weighed seven pounds and seven ounces. Do you know that? Kind of weird. Seven people in my family. 
So on 7777, guess how old I was? Seven. Yep. I was on the seventh page of the Kaiser News Tribune on 7777, a picture of me because I turned seven years old. Favorite number? Two. Two. Definitely two. Yeah. I've told that joke a hundred times. But you know, it wasn't all about that day. That, that moment comes and goes. But you know what the really, the wonderful part about it is? My parents held little Lowell in their hands. It wasn't about this child then. It was about what they would become. Right? A birth isn't wonderful because of the moment, because of that because of the instant. It's about what it will become. It's about the future ahead of that child. It's about the next 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years. That's what's exciting about a birth. It's not about that moment. It's about what the future holds. And that's the same truth in our born-again nature. That's the same truth in your new life. It's not about that moment that you put your trust in Christ. It's about the future God has for you. The great promise that God has. The inheritance that God gives you. Do you have inheritance today? Do you know what inheritance is? An inheritance is, the, is a great wealth that you're given. Not because of anything you did, but because of who your daddy is before you, right? And you've been born with a new father. You've been born of new seed. And that new seed brings an inheritance that Peter describes here. And it is wonderful. As awesome as the born again moment is, it's for the future that God is offering us. And that future is a relationship with him. Look what it says here. It's a permanent inheritance an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. I'll tell you just briefly about these words because they're interesting. Imperishable means that it'll never perish or be corrupted. It'll never wear out. It is permanent. It doesn't get old. What you have, if you are, if you are born again, if you had this relationship with God, it is permanent. You can't sin it away. You can't will it away. See, your identity has been changed because you've been born again. At a new seat, new father. It is undefiled. This means it'll never spoil. It doesn't rot like old fruit. It doesn't wear out like old shoes. In reality... As you grow as this new creature, the wealth of what God is giving you increases. It's not a dead hope. It's not dead. It's growing. It's a living hope, is what Peter is saying. And it is unfading. Peter says that this, this, this inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Unfading means it will never fade. It'll never lose its luster. You know that t-shirt? You've washed it like 150 times, and it's your favorite shirt because it's just so comfortable. Oh, golden boy. It just feels so good, you know? See, that's what happens to things of this world. But not the inheritance that you have in Christ. 
when you've been born again, when you've been born of this new seat, this is not a once and done. This is not, oh good, I'm not going to go to hell now. That's not what happens. I've got a new seed that's now growing in me like a mighty oak tree. And the, the beautiful part about it is, I want you to see who's protecting it. Look at verse number four. This inheritance, it's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded. This word guarded is a military term. It's like a garrison all around the outside of a fort. It's like a perimeter, guys who are in the army or ladies who are in the army, the Marine Corps. And you'd be out there on the perimeter, everybody out in a big circle facing around with your weapons outside. I pity the fool that walks into our perimeter, right? He's going to die. Because it's guarded by a group of Marines. Or it's guarded by a group of soldiers. Or Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard. Yeah, okay. Don't be offended. This garrison of, of support, of, of protection. It's not Marines. It's not soldiers. It's God. See, when you become a new creature, when you're born from a new seed, God's spirit comes and lives in you. That's disinheritance. One more thing. The requirement. Let me read it. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded. But listen, it doesn't stop there. I want you to wake up. I want you to hear this next thing because you can think you're guarded and not be. You can think you're a son of God or a daughter of God And not be. You can believe you've been born from above, born from a new seed, and be deceived. Let me tell you about Peter when he wrote this. And I'll get back to my point. You stay with me. When Peter wrote these words, the Roman emperor was a lovely man named Nero. In the mid-60s, He was a crazy man in reality. In the mid-60s, a great fire broke out in Rome. And much of the city was burned to the ground. And Nero didn't like Christians. The reason he didn't like them is because they would not bow down to him and call him God. And so they called Christians atheists. Because they did not believe that the emperor was God. So Nero, the Roman emperor, had an opportunity he would now bring persecution into this group of this followers of this Jesus Christ and blame them for the fire in Rome. So there broke out a persecution in the whole empire of Rome of Christians. And Nero did wicked, wicked things to Christians. Throw them to wild animals, catch them on fire, use them as little toys in their gladiator pit. And Peter's their pastor. And you meet on Sunday, you look around, you see who's here. 
Who survived another week? Who survived another week when you can die because you're a believer? This is the world they were living in when Peter wrote this. So he's saying to them, listen, folks, think about the inheritance. Think about what God is doing in our life and what God has promised us. It says it's imperishable, undefiled, unfaded, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Through faith. Every word is inspired of God. They're not extra. You can't throw it away. You can't just glaze over that because, oh, I know what faith is. Here's what that means. Peter is saying that an saving faith is an enduring faith. If you are truly born again, you will remain in the faith. You don't walk away from the faith when you've been born again. There's nothing I can do. I look like my dad. I walk like my dad. I talk like my dad. Call my brother and hear his voice. You'll be like, is that low? We sound just alike. There's nothing we can do. It's just the way it is. We got the same seed. When we are born again, the faith that saves is an enduring faith. Peter says, you are guarded, yes. God's power is guarding you. It is imperishable, undefiled, unfaded. But it is there if your faith remains. I fear, I fear for many people in our world of Christianity who are told about born again, who are told about an inheritance, who even think about Jesus on a cross, but there is no enduring faith. It's not a faith, it's not a born again, it's not a seed that bears fruit. There was a time in my life I knew Jesus died. I knew he died for sins. I knew he came back from the light, from the dead. But I was not saved. I did not believe. I did not have faith. And if I would have been honest with myself and looked at my life, I would have admitted the truth. My faith doesn't endure. It's a dead seed. It produces nothing. There is no fruit of the Spirit. There is no love in my life. There is no obedience to God. The the seed in me is dead. Praise God, I did realize that one day. And I came down an aisle in our church. That's how we did it. And I knelt down right there. And I prayed, God, I'm a liar. I'm a liar. Save me. It's all I knew to pray. It's all I knew. See, I didn't grow up in a Christian family. I didn't grow up around this stuff. This was all new to me. I'm in my mid to late teens. I'm a liar. Save me. When you're born again, The root takes hold. 
the seed is effective and the faith endures. Careful, careful. You can admire God for his mercy. You can admire God for his love. You can admire God for his, cro- for his cross. You can admire him because he came out of the grave alive. You can admire him for all those things and have no seed. So what do we do? What do we do? Jesus said this. Going to come after me? Going to come after me? Great. Deny yourself and follow me. That's what we got to do. That's what we have to do. We say, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm, I've tried it. I'm, I'm a wicked, corrupt person. I've tried to improve myself. I've tried to make myself better. And I fail every time. So I'm going to give up. That's just what I'm going to do, God. I'm going to just give up. Matter of fact, you might as well say, I'm going to die. I'm just going to die with you at the cross. So I count myself dead with you on the cross. That's what I'm going to do. I'm dead to me. I give up. Uncle, cry mercy. I need you. So then we come to the resurrection. Now you might have noticed I skipped over a phrase. My thought, oh, that silly low, we went right past that. It's Easter Sunday. He forgot about the resurrection. No. I wanted to put you in the tomb. I want to put you on the cross. I want to put you in the grave, dead in your sin, needing mercy. Come back to the passage. Verse number three. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the gospel, folks. That's the gospel. That Jesus Christ died for sins. I count his death as mine. And when he rose to life, when he came out of the grave alive, his life counts as mine. And I'm a brand new born again creature. I'm new life now. I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price. I don't own me. He owns me. This is where living hope comes from. And the inheritance of God's seed his relationship with him for eternity that never fades, never spoils, never goes away, always permanent. In this, Peter writes, you rejoice. See, this is what God offers. Mercy, inheritance, death. Death to me, live with Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you for the gospel. And Lord, I pray that each of us right now would evaluate our heart. Lord, where's our trust? What's our understanding? Are we your creatures? Lord, you have promised that you have placed in us a seed. Those who have put their trust in Jesus have been have been born again in you with a new father, a new identity, born from above we are. 
Lord, I pray that we would evaluate our life today and really look to see, are we in the faith? Is your seed producing? Does the tree bear fruit? Father, if we're not in you, I pray that right now we turn to you as Savior. The gospel writer said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Thank you for those words, Paul, Lord. I pray for anybody today that needs to do that, needs to believe on Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, new life. And right now, they can stand forgiven in you. Now listen as we pray. You just cry out to God. For me, it was, Lord, I'm a liar. Save me. Let's say it out loud. You don't need any magic formula or magic potion. Just cry out from the depths of your heart that you know you're a sinner. You look to what Jesus did as your righteousness and ask him to save you. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Now receive our praise. Amen.